Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website. That's sumatisparks.com. S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in sparks are flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, so you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm so thrilled to have as my guest, Sheba. Sheba is a sex and intimacy coach and an erotic artist. She's based in St. Petersburg, Florida, and as a practitioner of Body Joy Intimacy School, she works with clients virtually and in person for one-on-one coaching sessions around relationships, sexuality, exploration, and body positivity. She believes kink-friendly, queer-friendly workshops encouraging intimacy building and creating a playful, explorative, exciting dynamic for your sex life. Welcome to the show, Sheba. Oh, thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. I'm so happy to be on your show. Thank you so much for inviting me. So glad to have you. So how does one become Sheba, the erotic artist and sex and intimacy coach? Can you tell us a little bit about your story? I know sometimes you even use the moniker Sheba, queen of the night. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got to where you could own it like you do, girl? (laughs) Yes, um, thank you. Uh, hmm, Sheba. Sheba has always been a part of me, uh, and I... I think it was when I was in my uh, my 20s that I fell in love with burlesque and performance art, and I started to entertain the idea of becoming a performer, and I knew right away what my name would be uh, because I had used this moniker before in my life but I was like oh I know exactly who I'm going to be I'm going to be Sheba and Queen of the Night just came with the territory Uh, we perform you know mainly at night and uh, queens are uh, I think a a way that uh, women can carry themselves and so I love queens and royalty and uh, just honoring the feminine and so I became Sheba Queen of the Night Mm, beautiful and then how did you become interested in becoming a sex and intimacy coach? Well, I like to blame vaginas because <laughs> I <laughs> I stumbled in. I mean, I'm a, I'm a queer woman, and I stumbled into uh, an audition. I went to school for performing arts and film and uh, have been a performer my whole life, but I walked into an audition for a play called The Vagina Monologues, and I had no idea what I was in store for. And being a part of that play, have you heard about it before? I'm, yes. Uh-huh. I feel like it's been around so long that I'm always shocked if someone hasn't seen it a million times. Yeah, I, I did see the live show once. Yeah, so I I auditioned for that, and I I actually became quite an activist 
for the V-Day movement. And I performed for several years. And I was this character who was a dominatrix sex worker who only worked with women. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, I so relate to this character. I just love her. I feel like she's a part of me. And uh, not only that, but the experience just of talking about sexuality and talking about the body and just being in a, a collective of women and, you know, empowerment. And I was like, how do I do this for a living? I love this. And I went on to produce it and direct it. And uh, it was very uh, much like group therapy. And I really wanted to pursue becoming a sex educator. And so I started pursuing that. And uh, then I, I actually became a burlesque performer. And that kind of was to me an extension of, uh, you know, doing performance art in this activist way. And uh, burlesque really helped me to own my sexuality and kind of, it all just kind of flowed from there. And I started working with Body Joy Intimacy School uh, about a year and a half ago, and I am a practitioner uh, through the school. They are based in Austin as well as uh, Northern California. Um, The founder is Sharla Hathaway, uh, and Melissa Davison is the other uh, lead practitioner for the school. Cool. Beautiful. Um, so you mentioned that you um, played a queer dominatrix sex worker. <laughs> and, yes. Um, you talked about how you identify as queer and your workshops are queer friendly, kink friendly. So can you talk a little bit about how all those different identities blend together in your life and in your work? Yeah, I definitely have been a part of the kink community for quite a while. I was on the board of the Folsom Street Fair in San Francisco and uh, have done performance art in the kink community and now have just started to uh, put workshops out as a kink educator as well. And Mm -hmm. for me, I lean more on the uh, sensual side of things. I really Mm -hmm. am attracted to the Uh, work in intimacy and vulnerability and I found within the kink community uh, that there was so much delicious uh, foundation in that community and as a uh, curious uh, student of the community I learned about negotiations and boundaries and Uh, how to set up a scene with someone and how to have limitations and just all the lovely things that go into, you know, the uh, kink play. And I really found that to be just a a really uh, vast healing space for people. And like, that's what that really turns me on about uh, educating in the kink realm is just that I found profound healing in that form of play and I try to really welcome that explorative and playful energy um, clients uh, and in my workshops for people who can open the idea of sex outside of just 
the exchange and energy, but also to make it really playful and fun. And, and I think there's just a lot of areas within uh, kinky dynamics that you can, you can really let go and have fun with them. Yeah, it really does. You know, kink has a lot to teach the um, vanilla crowd about how to have conversations and set up boundaries and ask for what you want. I remember I took a workshop from Midori once on negotiating a scene. And one of the first questions she asks is, what mood are you going for? <laughs> I just thought that was such a great, mm-hmm. a great thing. How often do we ask our vanilla lovers, what mood are you going for here? There's just sort of this default, you know, that everybody goes for and they never really even think about what they're hoping to create. And it's almost like it's not okay to talk about that stuff. So kink like gives us permission to um to really ask for what we want and and then to you know you you tell me more like what do you think that um vanilla people can learn from the skills that people learn from negotiating scenes in kink Uh, i think so much i i love when i hear someone say oh i'm not kinky i'm i'm vanilla and it's like but everybody has i think a little bit of kinky in them um or at least curiosity and I think Mm -hmm. that's the the juicy stuff like you know when we're curious about something and we want to see what that's like it's okay if it's just you know for one day one night you know trying something out and you're like oh that's for me but (laughs) I think just giving you know vocabulary and uh ideas I think that there's okay so the thing that I really wanted to talk about tonight, and I we will get into it, but is the three C's, and right. uh, one of the C's is creativity, and I think that that's something that the kink community really offers. Is there's so many different ways that you can be sexual, and it mm-hmm. kind of gives you permission to try on different hats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's go to that then. Um, you talk about the key to a good sex life and fulfilling relationship is the three C's. So why don't you give us a little primer on that? So um, I, the three C's are uh, creativity, like I mentioned, and communication and connection. And I think that those are the things that uh, I find to be maybe challenging for people, um, I definitely relate, is, you know, we, I, I don't think we're really uh, taught at a young age how to speak on what our desires are, what we want, or given that framework of talking about, and so, like, teaching people how to ask for what they want, or, uh, name something they want to try and so I feel like communication is really important within a relationship dynamic and a sex dynamic is just opening up the dialogue and giving more uh, more vocabulary more ideas more just spaciousness for that conversation Mm -hmm. so that's communication yes and then creativity. Before we we go on to the next one, let me just ask you about the communication piece. So what I see so often in people who haven't done a lot of this work is just the fear. Um, There's like a lot of insecurity that people have around um, 
being told, uh, you know, sharing with them what you want. So oftentimes your partner feels like, well, I should have already known that. And what's wrong with me? How come you have to mm-hmm. tell me that? Do you know what I mean? So there's, mm-hmm. uh, it usually comes from ego. But how do you work with people around just being afraid to even ask for what they want? And then the partner who's doing the listening, um, how do they manage their insecurity around hearing that? Yeah, it's definitely, I think, a retraining, uh, kind of learning how to use your voice in different ways and how to hear partner and what their needs are. It's kind of like learning how to do things differently because I think you're right. I think people do kind of have this default and how they have been sexual. And I think there is a lot of people who have this um, assumption that the other person should know, but the reality is, and maybe it's something that we're not told or we don't hear often is that everybody's body is different and Mm -hmm. everybody responds to pleasure differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think people just really letting that sink in that, that you have to learn how to give pleasure and you have to learn how to give yourself pleasure and you have to learn how to uh, ask for things. And so it's opening up that, that conversation. And how does the self-pleasure tie into that? Uh, Well, I think that when you really know what you respond to, then you can give that information to your partner instead Mm -hmm. of just, uh, you know, expecting someone to know what to do, because I mm-hmm. think that's very, uh, you know, how it is when you're young is you, you know, have sex with someone and you, you just kind of go with the flow. But the more you know your own body and the more that you explore your own body, the more that you can, uh, you know, share that with your partner and mm-hmm. really um let someone know you in that way. And it's extremely vulnerable, which is, you know, I think uh, can be challenging for people if they don't have, uh, you know, openness in their sexuality or they ha- they're they used to using their voice in that way. Not everybody is. Right. So I think this ties into let's go to the connection C because without good connection, it's hard to be vulnerable, right? And so, so often we... Um, hook up with the wrong people who can't really hold the space for our vulnerability. So can you talk about the connection C? Yeah, I think just, uh, I feel like giving, giving clients the, the concept of intention and, and why we're connecting and what our goals are. Like when, when I'm coming from a place of like wanting to give my partner pleasure or wanting to, you know, share an intimate experience with them, you know, that's my intention of connecting with them in this way. And so I think when people have, you know, a better idea of why they're connecting or what their goals are um, and going into sex in this way that like, they're allowing themselves to be vulnerable and like look at what's coming up for them and, and holding, you know, space in a sacred way, you know, we can really have uh, a deeper connection to our partners. 
Mm-hmm. And can you talk about that in the context of non-monogamy? Um, so many people assume that the sacred connection that you're talking about has to be done within the context of monogamy. So how can we have that kind of uh, safety and um, sacredness um, to feel our vulnerability when we have more than one partner? I feel like it all goes back to communication. If you are sharing yourself with multiple people, then the same level of communication needs to happen across, you know, all parties and, and really being able to uh, have a strong foundation within those relationships and asking for what you need and, and allowing space for uh, things to come up. Because I like to say uh, sex is not a handshake. You know, it's very, it's a lot of emotions come out of sex, a lot of uh, vulnerability. And so holding space for, well, you know, whatever comes up within the, those connections is, is being willing to process them and, uh, you know, just having a lot of mutual respect with the people that you're playing with or uh, intimately connected with and, and being able to really, uh, you know, speak authentically to what each relationship is and how to navigate them. Mm-hmm. And are you um, non-monogamous or have you been? I'm in an open partnership, yes, but I mm-hmm. have a primary partner. Mm-hmm. And what's what's a couple of the biggest, um, like, mistakes you've made that you've learned from? <laughs> um, I think that definitely uh, you can, as long as you have respect towards the people that you are intimate with and you're communicating and uh, having that authenticness. I think everything, you know, all of your needs can be met, but it's when uh, communication is not there that kind of things can happen. And, you know, not everybody is really uh, good at communicating. And so Mm -hmm. I definitely have had relationships where uh, it's not the, you know, the same uh, ability to communicate needs, and so that can be that can be challenging, and you have to hold space for that growth, you know, because not everybody is in the same place at the same time, and you have to, you know, be willing to grow with a person. Mm-hmm. Right. And what um, what do you do in your relationships when one of you feels triggered by um, the way that the other communicated? I think that the most important thing is to pause and really take a breath and really feel what's coming up in the body and then talking about what's coming up. I think a lot of, and I see this, you know, with clients is uh, when we're in that fear uh, mode, you know, a lot of emotions can happen. And so it's when we are calm and we just, speak to like, this is what's coming up for me and uh, feeling into your body and like speaking your truth and just um, asking for that space to talk Mm -hmm. about what's coming up. I -hmm. think that's, uh, that's the sacredness to me is, is being willing to hold that space for whatever comes up and hearing it and working through it together. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I found that when I'm triggered, I sometimes, or my partner's triggered, sometimes just taking that time out to let our nervous systems mm-hmm. kind of re-regulate and not keep trying to hash something out when we're in that fight or flight mode, you know, like mm-hmm. take a break and come back when you're back in your, you know, prefrontal cortex is engaged, you know, wait, wait until the, the uh, crisis is over in your body because our bodies get in that fearful state and we don't always have to rely on our partner to get us out of that state. We can self-soothe, mm-hmm. you know, or go reach out to another friend to get out of that state. So um, good to keep in mind that we yeah. have abundance of resources available. Yeah. And a lot of people have, um, you know, trauma from, you know, all walks of life, you know, they're even the smallest thing. Sometimes you don't even expect, uh, you know, something to trigger you and you don't necessarily know when it's going to happen. And so just being upfront with, you know, your partners and saying, this is, you know, something that triggers me or in the moment, just saying, I need a moment mm-hmm. and taking that space and saying, something's coming up for me and communicating what it is and what you need in that moment. I mean, that's another shout out to, you know, the kink uh, dynamics is aftercare. I think aftercare is one of the most beautiful things that I've, you know, ever heard is just someone asking for, you know, what they need in that moment to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like people little... who are, Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, people who are vanilla, you know, they they wouldn't know that, like, that's one of the things, one of the beautiful things about, you know, kinky play is that there's this thing called aftercare where after a scene or after a play, you can uh, cuddle, you can ask to be held, you can, uh, you know, ask to be pet. There's so many different ways you can say, you know, I need a sandwich. Like, you know, aftercare can look like so many different things to so many different people, but it's a way of, like, coming back to a tenderness and Mm -hmm. coming back to that connection and also really being able to ask for, you know, some nurturing. Mm -hmm. I think we all want to be nurtured. Oh, definitely, yeah. Um, but we just made me think of that too, that, that the aftercare is such a, a beautiful tool that we can use even outside kink play. Um, and I was going to these retreats and play parties before COVID and we would have our safer sex conversation where we talk about, you know, what, when's the last time you got tested and do you have any STIs and what kind of barriers do we want to mm-hmm. use and so forth. And so um, even if this isn't a person you're going to have an ongoing relationship with, you can still create beautiful, vulnerable connection by having these conversations. But then what we took from the kink community is that not only do we talk about the STIs and stuff, but we would also talk about um, what would it mean to you? What what will it mean to you if we end up having sex? Like what's that going to mean to you emotionally? Mm -hmm. And then what are you Mm going to need afterwards? And I remember that I would often ask, if it was going to be just a casual play thing, I would often ask them to, if I, you know, if we weren't in the same retreat, I would ask them to at least send me like a messenger, you know, with some emojis or something. I just, I didn't need a lot. I just wanted to like have an acknowledgement that we had that sweet connection the prior night. Or if I was in the retreat with them, I would say, can we just make eye contact for a minute, you know, Mm -hmm. like before breakfast, just to like 
be like, yeah, okay, this happened, you know, okay, have a great day now. <laughs> like I just wanted some acknowledgement so it wasn't just, okay, I'm done with you, you're thrown away. So, you know, I didn't need a whole lot, but it was good that I could get clear that I needed that little bit of, you know, acknowledgement. Yeah, and I think that's why, like, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with casual sex if that is what you want, but it's having that kind of a conversation of, you know, what do I need after it? You know, what is my intention going in? Like, how, how are we going to hold this space? Where are we going after it? It's like, the more that we can communicate, the more beautiful it can be. Mm-hmm. Right. Nice. Okay, so let's move on to the creativity C. I want to have fun with that one. So tell me more about that. Yeah, and um, I think that uh, I, I, I know I can plug this later. I know you said um, I can share where people can find me next. But one of the workshops that I lead is called Getting the Kinks Out. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, it's very explorative for people who have never really uh, been a part of the kink community and, you know, want some ideas on how to be more creative in the bedroom. And I think that, you know, some people, they might be interested in playing dress up or playing into certain roles or you know, trying new toys, but they just don't know how to go about it. And so I think that uh, this workshop and, and what I like to work on with clients is like, what are you curious about? What do you crave? What are some of the desires that you have? And a, and a lot of people, they uh, they don't really know because they haven't given themselves permission to do the research and, and learn, you know, what it is that they want to try out of, you know, whatever they've already experienced. And, um, you know, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it's a pretty liberal and uh, sex-positive place. Uh, and I grew up in a very sex-positive family. And so I always knew that there was places like Good Vibrations, and, you know, you could go and you know, walk into a, a sex shop and, and learn about different things that are out there that you could try and um, maybe coming from a, you know, performance artist uh, world, I, I it's very common that you'll find me in costume. And so it's, a, you know, it's a big part of who I am. And it's something that I can gift to people is the um, enthusiasm of, trying on costumes and trying on characters and it's not necessarily about being anyone that you're not it's about just exploring how to be sexual in new ways mm-hmm. yeah and I find that the the real fantasies the ones that you real that really excite you can feel the most vulnerable to share with other people and mm-hmm. so to have like a community that's like normalizing that that's like oh yeah I have that too you know a lot of times people have never spoken it out loud. You know, they just think that they're some kind of a freak. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's another shout out to the kink community is, you know, with fetishes, like people can really, uh, I give that as a homework assignment to clients to, you know, uh, go on to FetLife and make a profile and look and see what, what kind of things in those lists you know, do you want to explore what are, and they, they have a, 
you know, it laid out into the what are you curious about, what do you want to try, and what's like a hard limit. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, something that you're not interested in trying. And so it's like I have clients go in and, and look through all the lists of, you know, different things they can try, and they, they learn so much. It's like educating on all the different things that you can do and um you know maybe things that you haven't heard about and it it gets you to kind of look into what things are out there and and then you see other people who are into it and it it kind of just makes it it normalizes it it kind of makes it like oh this is this is something that people do and it's taboo Mm -hmm. right so if you're just joining us you're listening to leading edge love radio and this is your host sumati sparks the open relationship coach at sumatsparks.com, and we're speaking with Sheba, who is an erotic artist and a sex and intimacy coach. If you'd like to ask Sheba any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 657-383-1132, and don't worry, you won't interrupt us. You'll just be put on hold, and we'll answer your call at the right time. Again, that call-in number is 657-383-1132. So we were just kind of wrapping up your three C's, communication, connection, Mm -hmm. and creativity. Is there anything else that you missed around that that you want to add? Um, Yeah, just, uh, you know, for me, like learning about uh, the creative side of sex is so liberating. And I just, it's, it's, you know, one of my mission statements is just for people to, be more playful and and welcome creativity into the bedroom. And it all stems from when I started becoming a performance artist and uh, I was so excited about all of the things about that uh, world that I was in. And, and now I lead uh, sensual movement uh, workshops as well where I, I teach people, uh, you know, the art of the tease and, encourage them to try on costumes and really explore the sensations of fabric on their body and just really um, getting in tune with uh, their body's response to uh, sensual movement and putting on uh, costumes. Wonderful. It sounds like so much fun. Why do you think people take sex so seriously? I mean, there's such an emotional investment for a lot of people. It's uh, like there's no room for error. <laughs> I think it's it's a person-by-person basis. I mean, I grew up Catholic, and I was listening to a podcast today and listening to someone else talk about, you know, growing up, um, going to a Catholic school, and, and just the things that we're raised with. We, you know, have a, uh, you know, a very... Uh, uh, sex is very taboo uh, for the most part in society and so it depends on how you're raised but you have to almost get to a point where you are deciding you know what what is it that I want and how do I find what gives me pleasure and kind of I feel like people have a sexual um, existential crisis, you know, whether they call it, uh, you know, midlife crisis or whether they, you know, how it uh, manifests in their life. But people, I think, are are 
get to a place where they want to have something new. They want to try something different and, um, and are in a place where they can, you know, look outside of the box. But we're all kind of raised with uh, building blocks in our sexualities. And so I think that people have to come into their own sexual awakening. Mm-hmm, right. And there's just a lot of shame that we have to overcome, um, particularly shame mm. about our bodies. And um, one of the things yeah. that you teach is body positivity. So can you talk a little bit more about that and how you help people to love and accept their bodies? Yeah. Uh, being a performance artist, a burlesque performer, um, you know, my art form is is purely physical and imp- it's about empowerment and it's about owning your body and and the the art of the tease is very um slow and sensual or it can be like powerful and erotic and and really kind of wavering between the two and so i think that um uh what i've learned from you know being around women you know uh, in many different ways, like, uh, and men, I've had clients that I've worked with, you know, everybody has their own, um, uh, traumas and experiences and things that they hold in their body and to, uh, you know, change the relationship that you have with yourself and come to a place of self-love and compassion and healing, um, you can empower yourself to love your body more. And so Mm -hmm. I I consider myself a body positive activist and I live my life that way. And I am empowered in my body, but I also like to share that with other people. I share it when I'm performing. I share it when I'm in where I am, you know, leading a workshop around sensual movement or body positivity. And when I work one-on-one with clients, um, where they want to learn more about how to love themselves deeper or how to heal wounds that they have or the way that they feel in their body. And, um, yeah, it's such beautiful work, and I absolutely just love doing it. I think it's, it's so powerful to have, a, have more forgiveness and to have more love and more appreciation of your body. It's it sets a foundation for like when you share it with another person, you know, it, it gives you a deeper connection with yourself. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. I'm so glad you do that work. It's much needed. (laughs) Thank Ah, you. So yeah, let me um, change directions a little bit here. And um, since we're in this pandemic where there's a lot more isolation and Mm -hmm. it's easy to connect with new people, I've been, teaching my clients who are often trying to figure out how do I meet new people, um, you know, Mm -hmm. compatible polyamorous and non-monogamous partners in the middle of a pandemic. So I've been telling them to, um, you know, imagine that you have multiple partners who may live in different areas, you know, like I have a lot of clients that live in small towns, so they don't have access to a big city like San Francisco or, you know, mm-hmm. where, uh, Denver, places where there might be a big polyamorous community. So I just tell them to like look in the nearest city for somebody who maybe you could meet with once a month or one weekend a month or every other weekend or every third month, you know, like it's kind of fun to have various 
you can still stay connected with them, you know, virtually in between visits, but it's a, mm -hmm. a really good strategy for this time we're in to open your mind about having more long distance relationships. So can you talk a little bit about how, um, cause I know you travel. So how do you stay connected while traveling? Um, and you know, yeah, there's, if you're not with your partner, that, there's so much, so much there. I mean, like nowadays, People are, I mean, we all are very, um, you know, busy, moving, traveling, um, you know, we move pretty fast as a society. And so um, how do we stay connected, whether we live in the same house or we live across, you know, the country? It's um, finding ways to have that connection. I've just been living on the West Coast and um, my partner is on the East Coast. So it's finding ways that we can have connection and be connected, um, you know, throughout the week. And, and you have to uh, find creativity as well. Like, you know, um, let's just say, like, the best thing is is the fact that our phones have uh, cameras and videos, you know, <laughs> uh, video cameras. Is, you know, you can do so much even from being far away. And I think that, you know, now it's um, – it's a different uh, time where, you know, we used to date in a very different way, you know, 10, 20 years ago. And now everything is, you know, online and social and, you know, a lot of people go through dating apps and there's munches where you can, you know, meet up with people that have the same ideology around sex or polyamorous or kinky and you can, you know, meet up in those ways. And it's the same thing online. You, you know, people can find groups on Facebook. Um, you know, there's tons of, you know, uh, groups on FetLife. There's different ways that you can uh, connect with people socially in a online or digital way and then get to know them, you know, before meeting up or, uh you know, getting to a place where you want to meet them in person. And sometimes those people do live on the other side of a, you know, city, country, world. Uh, you know, it's definitely not um, impossible for people to fall in love in different areas and still have that same level of intimacy and connection that they would if they lived next door. Mm -hmm. So tell me uh, one or two things that you and your partner do specifically that, when you're not physically together to keep the passion alive? I think like, um, to me, I think the sexiest thing you can do is just tell the person that you are uh, in partnership with or that you are dating or that you're a play partner with, just telling them how you feel about them. It sounds so simple, but really... Um, showing your partner gratitude and appreciation and um, telling them the things that are uh, valuable to you about them is, mm -hmm. I think, the sexiest thing ever is, is mm -hmm. to be able to just uh, honor them in that way. I just did a workshop with Good Vibrations, uh, um, a workshop I do called Being of Service and it's a workshop in uh, body worship. And I think that it's that we can do is just honor our partners and uh, show them that 
appreciation that we have for them and hearing it and, you know, you could be in the same room or you can be, you know, in two different places, you know, on the opposite side of the globe, but the words are powerful and really make the person feel that connection. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because you, you know, you call yourself sex positive Sheba and erotic artist and pinup girl and all these things. And so you would think that, that having a conversation with you would be all about, like racy sex and like really you know, <laughs> crazy kinky stuff. But I find that the conversation keeps coming back to intimacy. It keeps coming back to connection and appreciation and telling each other how you feel. So I'm just struck by how that's really the foundation of how you can be safe enough to be creative, how you can feel the security mm-hmm. to explore your kinks when you have that connection and trust and appreciation. Yeah, and just really, really letting, I think, yourself be held in that space, you know, like creating the safety within the dynamic of a partnership is, I think, where we allow ourselves to be vulnerable is when Mm -hmm. we set up that safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I have some, you know, kinks that I like to play out, but I would not be interested in doing them at all with a stranger because I would just feel used and degraded. But with the partner who I know loves and sees me, then I can really let go and get into certain roles. (laughs) I know. I'm such a demisexual. I really, really, (laughs) like, I just, I love to be emotionally connected with another person. And even if it's not, you know, my primary partner, I like to know that the other person has the, you know, the mutual respect and the, you know, deep connection. Like I'm, I'm a Pisces. I just love all the feels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I think that when you have that, um, when you have that, uh, that um, emotional capacity, like you, you have that you know, exchange with another person, I feel like then you can really let go and, and, and go deep with someone. And that's, that what, that's what turns me on is, is going deep. Mm-hmm. Right. And so let's talk about going deep with non-monogamous partners. I've found so often that people are afraid to let themselves really feel the love for another person for fear that it's going to be equated with expectations of some sort or some kind of commitment Mm -hmm. and I I just find it such a challenge for people to let themselves go all the way into that emotional intimacy outside the context of monogamy um, because they say they're afraid to hurt the other person but really I think it's because they don't want to feel their own discomfort if the other person has grief or loss or wants more than they're able to give they don't want to sit with their own discomfort around that. But they often say it's like, I don't want to hurt you. Do you follow me? Yeah, yeah. And when it's when it's in a casual space, I feel like um, there might be a little less uh, expectation for those, for those types of conversations. But I think that the best way to uh, approach a, a relationship within polyamory is just to have the same – principles of when you would, you know, 
in a kinky dynamic, be setting up a scene, you know, saying this is what I'm interested in, this is where I'm at, and this is, you know, what my limitations are, and mm-hmm. and being really upfront about, you know, what it is that you want. It's all about intention and what you want going in and what you need and making sure that the other person is right there with you and those expectations are uh, seen, heard, and validated. Yeah, that's a good point. You just gave me the phrase, you made me think about this phrase, emotional boundaries. Like, And I'm not just talking mm-hmm. about casual sex, because even in polyamory, um, the wonderful book Polysecure that everybody's reading these days talks about, um, you know, if you want to have a, po- a secure polyamorous relationship, then both partners have to commit to really working through the triggers and the feelings and the core wounds mm-hmm. that come up. But if you're going to have something just shy of a polysecure relationship, but it's not like a swinging, like pure sexual connection, there's degrees of emotional intimacy that people are available for. And so mm-hmm. that can be part of the conversation as well. Like how much emotional intimacy are you available for? What are your boundaries around that? And what does that look like? That's something that people don't talk about very often. You are so right. And it is such a beautiful, beautiful conversation to have. It's like, what are you willing to show up for? What are you, where are you at? And what is it that you need? I think that's, that's to me, like one of the big, you know, key factors is, is what what is everybody's needs and you know especially if there's multiple uh partners within a you know relationship dynamic and making sure that how do we get everybody's needs met and um that should be i think one of the you know main uh things that people are looking at in all relationships is you know are you getting your needs met and uh you know, you could be married and not be getting your needs met for 50 years, <laughs> you right. know, and like, you know, there's people who have that, you know, dynamic of a relationship. And I think like that's the the key question is, are you getting your needs met? What is it that you need to get your needs met? How are we going to work as a partnership to get those needs met? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it makes such a good point about how when people are in long-term monogamous relationships, they aren't forced to deal with these issues as much, and you can kind of sweep things under the rug for years and even decades, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they wonder why their yeah, sex then, life has gone down. <laughs> yeah, and I think people come to, you know, seek out sex therapists and sex coaches and workshops around sexuality because they don't really know how to ask for their needs to be met or have that conversation. And so it, to me, is, is an honor to hold that space for people, to invite people to explore what it is that their needs are and how to get them met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a really beautiful thing when you can help a couple that's kind of been stuck for a long time to reignite that that passion and the love that they felt when they first met um, just because they haven't really had the skills and the safety to be able to talk about their fears and things that haven't worked for a long time. They feel like, well, why bring it up now? It's been years and 
they'll get mad at me for not bringing it up sooner. <laughs> this is like this negative momentum that kind of keeps them from changing anything. And then they just get more and more miserable until they finally show up in front of us and say, help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And people can be in dynamics where they are just the wrong fit for each other. And, you know, they're in a pattern of, you know, getting shut down and, you know, then their own needs are, are pushed down and, you know, the other person is kind of bleeding. And so kind of creating a space for people to be empowered sexually and to kind of, you know, advocate for their own uh, desires and their own needs uh, because, even if it's just a matter of going and pursuing their own, you know, solo sex or sex, you know, their exploration of their own sexuality, they, you know, not everybody has that person in their life that is, uh, you know, a cheerleader for, you know, sexual exploration. And, and that's definitely the role that I take on as a as sex and intimacy coach is I'm the enthusiastic uh person in the room that just wants everybody to to you know get off together <laughs> wonderful so what's it like for you when you're performing when you're doing burlesque what is that experience like for you and do you meet a lot of people who are fans or how is that for you um i actually i've been doing it for quite a long time um I think I'm coming up on my 12 year anniversary of doing it. And uh, I am, I'm just still so uh, moved by the art form, even after, you know, being around it for so long, it, um, it really does uh, fuel me in a lot of ways. It, um, for me, I've always been, you know, performative person. I did acting, you know, uh, when I was younger and, um, and, you know, I, I enjoy to, uh, give, uh, performance and to see people's response to it, like me being in my body and being in my power and being in my sexuality, like, um, it feels just, uh, amazing it's so delicious and um to be in that space and then to see another person respond to it is just such a gift I had a a woman she was um probably like in her late 80s and she was on a date with her husband and they had come to this uh show that I performed at and I was uh leaving the stage after curtain call and she jumped out of her seat and she was like, I am so glad I came tonight just so that I could see you. And um, I just stood with her and I held her hand and, you know, she was a, an older woman, but she was so inspired by uh, seeing a woman owning her sexuality in that way. And like, I am so here for it. You know, that's why I show up. And I, I put on my my gloves and my fishnets as I show up for that person. Not only do I get so much out of it as an artist to um, have a creative outlet to 
uh, channel my sexual energy in that way, but also for the the audience member that is being inspired by it or being fueled by it, you know, as a receiver. It's mm-hmm. definitely an an energetic flow um, that I really I really love. Did you have have you been able to perform again? Did you have to stall that for a while during the pandemic? And how's that going? <laughs> Yeah, like, um, you know, I kind of, uh, everybody, I think, had their own level of coping and coping mechanisms during the pandemic. And I, I used my art as a way of coping. And I just tried really hard from the moment that this, you know, pandemic started to try to force myself and not force in like a you know, drag yourself out of bed, but just encouraging myself to keep making art. And so, you know, for a a long, you know, for a good part of the beginning of the pandemic, I was doing virtual shows Mm -hmm. and um, performing, um, you know, on different online platforms. And then I also uh, was going out and doing photo shoots, which is just another extension of, um, for me ways to express my sexuality is through pinup modeling. And so um, by creating art, whether performative or um, through modeling, it really kind of kept me in that energy that I really crave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have been able to start performing again and it's, you know, it's definitely different, but um you know, it's something that uh, is a big part of who I am and it's very important to me. So I definitely uh, find it to be something very valuable and I love to, you know, guide women um, who want to explore that, whether they want to become a performer or they just want to have the experience of, you know, learning the art form for their own um, exploration of their body. It's just, it's, it's such a gift. I love it so much. Mm, I can tell. It's beautiful. Thank you. Well, um, Sheba, it's it's been really wonderful getting to know you and hearing about your slice of the uh, sex and intimacy world. (laughs) Um, So I'd like to give you some time to tell our listeners how they can reach you and if you have anything that you want to offer them. Uh, Yes. Uh, For people who are listening um, this evening, uh, you can reach out to me at Sheba at bodyjoy.org and you can have a free 30-minute introductory session discovery call and uh, you know we can also uh, I can add you to my mailing list so that you know about upcoming workshops uh, as well as one that's coming up in October on October 27th with Good Vibrations I'm going to be doing a free workshop with them on getting the kinks out. So that's another uh, opportunity that you can come and be a part of one of my workshops. And you can follow me on my social media. Um, you can go to my website, shebaqueenofthenight.com, or you can find me on Instagram, which is my handle is at sexposisheba. Cool. And can you spell your email address again so everybody is clear? Of course, Sheba is S-H-E-B-A at bodyjoy.org. Okay, great. Well, thank you again for being on the show, Sheba. It was a lot of fun, and I wish you all the best in your workshops and your practice. 
Oh, for inviting me. It was so lovely uh, to be a part of your show. And uh, thank you again. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.